Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reid, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June 2024. Good luck. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader. As the first patients arrived at a new vaccination centre in Wembley, Sadiq Khan came to take a look, wearing his face mask as he passed photographers. The centre is one of ten opening in England as part of the government's efforts to roll out the Covid jab, and it comes as London itself may be showing some progress in the battle against the virus. Case numbers are falling in every borough for the first time in months, up to 30% in some areas. Our political editor Joe Murphy wrote the story for the Evening Standard and he's with me now. Joe, can we dare to hope that the peak has passed? One's always cautious before making a call and there have been falls in the overall London figure for a few days now. But today I think we've reached a landmark because for the first time every London borough has seen a fall. In some of these cases the fall is... 5 10%, but they go up to 30 or even in one case, 40%. Overall, London's about a third down in case numbers since January the 1st. So I think we can say that in terms of the caseload, the new infections, the peak is passing. But of course, it's still high, and it doesn't mean the crisis is over. In fact, in many ways, it's getting worse for the NHS. Yeah, for all these figures are encouraging. You've written in the Evening Standard today that the number of Londoners filling up hospitals continues to break records. Yes, and of course, people are not dying, thank goodness, as much as they did in the first wave. But a consequence of saving people's lives is that it takes a long time to nurse them back to health. So what you have is a record number of people being admitted to hospital while fewer people are getting out of hospital as quickly and so you get the numbers building up and up and up. So you're seeing the number of patients surging and you're still seeing deaths rising. And that's why the health secretary is urging Londoners to stick to the rules, isn't it? Yeah, we've had some very heartfelt words from both Matt Hancock, the health secretary, and Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, saying, uh, look, Londoners, we implore you, don't take your foot off the gas, don't relax, don't give the virus any chances because people are still in desperate conditions. And as all this is happening, we also have the opening of these 24-7 coronavirus vaccine centres, don't we? 
Exciting news. Probably at London hospitals, um, said Nadim Zahawi, who is the vaccinations rollout minister. So you can probably deduce from that that these aren't really aimed at the members of the public, certainly not at the moment. Um, The elderly people who are the priorities for vaccinations um, are going to be offered appointments in daylight hours at centres local to them. But if you're a shift worker who's in the categories uh, that are entitled, or if you're an NHS staff member at a hospital, then a 24-hour 7 um, centre could be just the job for you. And they're going to come to London first. But even with that, even with these figures falling in London, the message is still clearly, we're not out of the woods yet. I'm sorry, David, but that is just the truth. The last time we were in this position was in November, around half term, and it looked as though that Tier 2 lockdown level was bearing fruit because numbers were being squeezed in London, they were definitely levelling off. And then the new variant came along from Kent and it swept through London and it's still sweeping through other parts of the country. Things could go wrong again. There's more from Joe in our comprehensive coronavirus coverage, available in the newspaper, online at standard.co.uk and our YouTube channel too. Now let's take a look at the US, where final preparations are ongoing ahead of Joe Biden's inauguration on Wednesday. After the riot at Capitol Hill, security has been given an overhaul. It's now emerged even the National Guard will undergo stricter vetting procedures amid FBI concerns of an insider threat. The Evening Standard's Jack Kessler's with me. Jack, apparently there are more military personnel in Washington now than Afghanistan, so no chances are being taken then. Yeah, it's, it's both extraordinary but also kind of totally reasonable. I mean, it's extraordinary because the city and its residents who are quite used to high levels of security, and the city's essentially been shut down and mentions of a, of a green zone makes it sound more like Baghdad following the invasion rather than US capital. But it's also totally reasonable because the outgoing president has shown he's quite capable of storing up a violent seditionist mob and therefore these are the um the actions you take when when you know what you're dealing with i mean if i've seen sort of google maps looks like dc has really gone in for low traffic neighborhoods but actually when you zoom in you realize it's for a much more somber purpose once all this is over joe biden's gonna have to go into that oval office get his pen out and start signing things What's the first day going to look like, Jack? So they've already announced that they're going to um, enact immediately some executive orders on overturning the, uh, I can't believe you even have to say it, the Muslim ban and um, returning the United States to the Paris Agreement. But it is a heaving inbox. And I want to, if I may, go back to April 2003 and just remind people what became known as the Rumsfeld memo. So Donald Rumsfeld was the US Defense Secretary at the time. And he sent a memo to a colleague where he said, uh, and I quote, we need more coercive diplomacy with respect to Syria and Libya, and we need it fast. If they mess up Iraq, it will delay bringing our troops home. We also need to solve the Pakistan problem. And Korea doesn't seem to be going well. Are you coming up with proposals for me to send around? Which always made me laugh, you know, (laughs) <laughs> the idea that these were these were problems that were all going to be solved with a memo. And I think Biden faces a, a similar issue in that he's got a health crisis, he's got an economic crisis, he's got a political crisis to resolve. And 
he's not got much time to do it in. Is he going to be concentrating, though, on those domestic issues because America right now is undeniably deeply divided? Uh, it is divided, and uh, I'm sure there will be calls for unity, although I'm not sure how much one wants to unite with seditionist mobs. But what, what I've been impressed by is the ambition of the um, economic stimulus packages. So if you think that the Obama era stimulus package after the global financial crisis was $787 billion, well, Joe Biden wants two stimulus packages. The first one alone is $1.9 trillion. And this is good news for for the world, really, because there's not going to be a global economic recovery without the United States booming. And um, even with a very narrow Senate majority, it looks like he'll maybe be able to get something through. Now, Joe Biden's relationship with Boris Johnson is, let's call it a political relationship. There doesn't seem to be a lot of love between the two of them. But let's look in 100 days, because we always measure things in the first 100 days of a presidency. Where will the relationship between the UK and America be? I mean, the relationship between the UK and America and the relationship between the Prime Minister, in this case, Boris Johnson, and the President, Joe Biden, aren't exactly the same thing. I mean, Donald Trump called Boris Johnson Britain Trump, and forgive the issues surrounding grammar, he is seen as, whether fairly or not, given his support for Brexit and his support for Trump, in the sort of nativist right-wing mould. And so... Biden and his team will definitely be wary of Johnson himself, no matter how much Johnson will try to cloak himself in the flag of the um, climate change conference or uh, the G7 happening later this year. But in terms of the relationship between the UK and the US, um, it doesn't particularly change. We are still one of America's closest allies. And what about Donald Trump himself? What's next for him? He's apparently writing up around about 100 pardons to be released in the next day or two. Not allegedly including one for himself. So where does he go once he leaves the White House? It's hard to know exactly what he'll he'll do, but there's one constant in Donald Trump's life, which is publicity and money. And that hasn't changed in the four years in which he's occupied the White House, whether it's running a rival news network to, uh, to outflank Fox News on its right or trying to build many more golf courses or whatever, he will do what gets him in the newspapers and what fills his coffers. I kind of think that, I wrote about this in the, in the paper last week, that the biggest issue is, is less Trump and it's less violent mobs and it's more the political structures of the US itself and the fact that the small state bias of the Senate and the Electoral College and partisan gerrymandering in the House means that the Republican Party, whether it's led by Donald Trump or someone superficially more moderate, can get about 48% of the vote and still win everything in the American political system, which within a two-party system is, is some doing. We'll have more on the inauguration in the leader ahead of the event itself this week. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. We're here every day at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. 
QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.